esteemed Dr. Zacharias. Tonight we're going to talk about three God-ordained institutions. Three God-ordained institutions. Um, this is a little bit different message for me because normally I just have very sketchy notes. And, and if you, I, I don't show them to people because they're a mess. They're organized up here. And I just, and then I have freedom. But this particular sermon, I've written down almost every word I'm going to say. Much of it I'm going to read to you verbatim. Hopefully, the delivery uh, will not uh, be boring because of that. And it's not, uh, it's, this is not, um, it's topical. Why can't I call the other word, Andy? Say it. It's not expository. Thank you. Um, we're, I'm going to be jumping around. Yeah, we're, we're going to be jumping around a lot in many of the passages for time's sake because I'm going to cover so much ground. I'm not going to take the time to look them up. I've written them into my text. I'm going to read them to you. But if you, I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, just get ready and be ready to fly, okay? Because we're going to go fast, as fast as I can. Now, I, every time I think I'm talking fast, when I watch video of myself afterwards, I realize how slow I really went. That's just me. I'm not a fast talker. I can't keep up with the fast talkers. Uh, but this is important. And Father's Day is a good opportunity for this particular message, isn't it? Uh, three God-ordained institutions. If you know what the first one is, then you'll understand that. Um, but I, I feel like this is something that um, we haven't done a good job of passing down to younger generations, this simple truth. And it's so important and so foundational to much of what we believe on other issues. And so um, we're going to look at this. I want to have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get right at it. Father, we thank you for our dads, and we thank you for um, this beautiful Lord's Day. Lord, for the freedom that we have to assemble here together and to look at the Word of God, to proclaim it freely. Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to our nation and preserve that freedom for us. Help us to use it well. Lord, I ask that your Spirit would enable me as I speak tonight and use the Word of God in a powerful way in our minds and hearts, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, All right, so we have three parts to the three uh, God-ordained institutions. The first part is going to be three, there's three groups of three, three premises, not promises, okay? Premise, you know what a premise is? P-R-E-M-I-S-E-S, and make that plural, three premises. Then we're going to look at the three institutions, and then we're going to look at the three purposes for the institutions. Very important. So here are the three premises. Buckle up. First of all, creation. The first premise is creation. Genesis 1. We believe that God created all that exists in six 24-hour days. We do not believe in evolution or in theistic evolution. The crowning achievement of God's creation is man. Amen? Amen? That's a very concise summary of what we believe. Creation. Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Do not be ashamed or embarrassed to proclaim those truths. 
Don't be intimidated. It's the, uh, it's the other side, the evolutionary side, that believes something that is absolutely absurd. Now let me arm you with a question, okay? If you don't know how to talk to an evolutionist, just ask them this one good question, all right? Write it down if you, if you want to remember it. Do you believe that life arose from non-living matter by a naturally occurring chemical process? Did you catch that? Do you believe that life arose from non-living matter by a naturally occurring chemical process? If you believe in evolution, you have to believe that. How evolution has no explanation for the origin of life. I'll never forget going to the... uh, Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. And by the way, it's worth going to. You just have to be prepared going in. You know you're going to be bombarded with evolutionary thought. But they had this display uh, um, about the origin of life. And it was honest. It said, you know, nobody really knows how or where or when life arose. Okay. (laughs) And then it had this big board with blinking lights spread around, and all these blinking lights would blink and then line up. And it was supposed to represent all the different elements that had to come together for a single strand of DNA or whatever to, to begin to exist. And with the odds of that are happening are so astronomically absurd that they're practically zero. Um, and it's never been observed. There's no explanation for it, and yet you have to believe that. Just go right to the starting point. Go right to the starting point. Furthermore, if you believe that, do you call that belief science? That's your follow-up question. Is that science? Am I with you? Is anybody with me tonight? Is that science? Not unless you dramatically redefine the word science, which is what our culture does. It redefines words, but... That's not science. Nothing like that has ever been observed. You can't repeat it. You can't put together the circumstances in such a way that it's predictable. You know it's going to happen again. It's not science. All right, creation. That's the first premise. I've got to stop short. I could do the whole message on creation. Second premise is relationship. Why did God create? Why did God create anything? Why did God make man? It's for a relationship. I used to love the way my dad, when we were little, uh, would explain this. He says, you know, in eternity past, God was lonely. And so he made man. Why did he make the rest of creation? For man. It was to make an environment that man could live in and thrive in and survive and, 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 and so forth. All the natural resources are here for us. And so relationship. We believe that God made man because God wants to have a relationship or a friendship with each human being. In other words, God is a personal God. He is a personal God. He wants to have a friendship with you. 
Someone may be here that is not a friend, uh, doesn't have this friendship with God, that hasn't experienced it. It's not because God doesn't want to have that friendship with you. And we'll say more about that here later on in the message. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, meaning Adam and Eve, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which the fruit of a tree uh, is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Genesis 3.8, speaking of Adam and Eve, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God came looking for Adam and Eve. We believe that the relationship between God and man was severed by man's fall into sin. Genesis 3, verses 15 through 19, give the account of the curse that is upon man and upon the earth because of man's sin. And we learn all of this in just the first three chapters of the Bible, and then the rest of the Bible from that point on, tells the story of God's work to restore that relationship through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to eventually bring believers to heaven to dwell with him forever. That's the rest of the, the whole rest of the Bible is taken up with that story. <clears throat> and so, if you are not walking with God and fellowshipping with God, you are not fulfilling the purpose for which he made you. Creation, first. Relationship, second. He made me. I didn't make myself. He made me for a reason. I messed that reason up, didn't I? But he provided a solution through Jesus Christ. Amen? Third premise, revelation. Revelation. He's revealed himself to me. Doesn't that stand to reason? Doesn't that logically follow next? He made me. He wants to have a relationship with me. And he took the initiative through revelation. You know, uh, in any friendship, somebody's got to take the first step, right? Somebody has to reach out the hand and say, Hi, I'm Dan. Who are you? And, oh, I'm Andy Davis. It might have gone the other way around with it. I don't know. (laughs) I can't remember. Someone's got to take the first step, right? And when you do that, you have to reveal your identity to that person. Correct? Someone has to be the first person. To make a revelation to the other person. And there's risk involved in that always. Isn't there? Always risk involved. And of course the best uh, kind of relationship that God designed is the relationship between husband and wife. And as you get to, uh, as you're married longer, you've got a good marriage, guess what? 
You reveal more and more uh, of yourselves to each other. You learn more. I, I know a lot more about my wife now than I did 30 years ago. Uh, of course, then she knows a lot more about me, too. But that's, that has to happen to have a good relationship, doesn't it? Revelation. So God has made himself known to me. Wow! He has taken the initiative. He has reached out to me. We believe that God has revealed himself and his truth to mankind. Listen to this. Several examples. In Genesis 6, God spoke to Noah. In Genesis 12 and 17, God revealed himself to Abraham. And wow, to Abraham by names that nobody had ever heard before. Um, In Genesis 28, God revealed himself to Jacob in a dream. And in Genesis 32, God wrestled with Jacob. You know, I believe God still wrestles with people. Hmm? There's a good sermon right there, a whole sermon right there. Wrestling with God. In Exodus 3, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. In Exodus 19 and 20, he revealed himself to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. In Joshua 5, God appeared to Joshua. In 1 Samuel 2, God spoke to Samuel. Samuel was just a young boy at the time. In Job 1 and 2, God spoke to Satan. In Isaiah 6, God appeared to Isaiah. In the book of Daniel, God repeatedly took Daniel into his confidence by showing Daniel his plans for the future. Throughout the Old Testament, God made himself and his truth known to mankind through his prophets. Then in the Gospels, God revealed himself in human form when Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, humbled himself and came to earth to live among men. And if you want to know what life God is like, one of the easiest ways is simply to read the account of the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? He revealed himself. We believe that God has revealed his truth in his word, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And there are many other passages that tell us what the Bible is. So God has revealed himself. So premise one, creation. He made everything. He made you. He made me. Secondly, why? Relationship. He wants to have a friendship with you. Third, revelation. He took the initiative to establish that relationship. He's revealed himself to us. And now we either accept him or we reject him. Those are the three premises. Are you ready for the three institutions? We've got to fly. Here we go. The first one is the home. The home was established right there shortly after creation. Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Listen to this. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's God's design. It's the basics of God's design for human beings. He's given us dominion over the earth, the natural resources of the earth. He's made two kinds of people, boys and girls. He decides what you're going to be. Amen? Ladies, aren't you glad God made you a girl? Can I get some amens from the ladies? Huh? You've seen the other kind, right? <laughs> Just the ladies now. I'm talking to the ladies privately. Guys, turn to you know, turn a deaf ear. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you ladies, that sorry rascal you're married to, he can only think about one thing at a time. You don't want to be like that, do you? Ladies, amen? Isn't God good? Wasn't he good when he decided to make you a girl? Why in the world would you want to switch to the other side? It's funny, but it's sad, isn't it? What's going on in our culture? The confusion and just outright rebellion against God's simple design. You know what? God made me. If I could make myself, then I could choose my own gender. But I didn't make me. He made me, and he assigned a gender, my gender, and biological sex, which coincide at the moment of conception. That's the truth. That is scientific truth, and it is religious truth. Okay, get on my golf my soapbox. Boys and oh, by the way, guys, aren't you glad God made you a boy? I shouldn't leave us out, right? Amen. I am. Just don't think that I wish, I'm wishing I was a girl by all that earlier talk. No, no, I'm very happy to be a boy. God's good. He doesn't make a mistake on that. He doesn't make a mistake. And then he designed marriage. One man and one woman. By the way, you can't get any more equal than one equals one. Huh? Does one equal one? Does two equal zero? Are you following me? If you want to talk about equality or equity, let's talk. Let's say, just say one equals one. There's not, you can't get any more equal than that. That is marriage equality. It's a good plan. Why does it not always work? Because we're sinful. We mess it up. God hasn't messed up the plan. If we work God's plan, it'll work. Mark, in Mark 10, when Jesus was asked about divorce, instead of taking the bait of the question intended to entrap him, remember uh, the, the, the woman who married uh, seven different, was it the woman married seven different men or the man married? Yeah, okay. She had the seven brothers. They each died. You would think by number three or four, they'd think twice about marrying this gal. <laughs> kind of an absurd uh, hypothetical, who will she be in, in when they get to heaven? And, and he said, he didn't take the bait. He said, listen, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. 
And then he reaffirmed God's original plan for marriage and family. He said, but from the beginning, it was not so. God's plan is one man, one woman, till death do us part. That's God's plan. The home. That is the first of the three institutions. You have a father and a mother, and they have children, and that's a family. That's God's original plan. Human government. The second institution is human government. This was established shortly after the flood. After the flood, God gave fallen mankind the sobering responsibility of capital punishment. Have you read it? There in Genesis 9? Before that, God had made no such requirement. He didn't require that of Cain, did he? But after the flood, he gave man this uh, sobering responsibility. Genesis 9, 5, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. The Bible tells us the reason that God commands capital punishment. Because man is made in the image of God. God sets up rulers, and he takes down rulers. Daniel 2, verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and seasons, he removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. Do you know there is nobody, no ruler, at any level, in office, that God did not allow to be, to be there? And God can remove them very easily. And every ruler, well, I'm getting ahead. I don't, I, I got to wait for the purposes later. I want to tell them now. All right. Psalm 75, 6, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. The king's heart, Proverbs 21, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Can God control the actions of an evil ruler without their evil ruler knowing about it? He can do it. Daniel 4, 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. God sent prophets, judges, and kings to guide and rule his people. Romans 13, we're told to be subject to government, be subject to the higher powers. We're told to pay taxes, lest we resist the ordinance of God. Romans 13 tells us to pay taxes, pay tribute. I've never loved that passage of Scripture, but it's there. Pay your taxes. Mark 12, listen to this, Mark 12, 17, And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. He did say to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, didn't he? Now that's a different debate. What things are Caesar's? Okay, we're not going to talk about that tonight. (laughs) But we are to be subject to the higher powers. The third 
Okay, so the home, human government, and the third institution is the church. The church was established after Christ's resurrection and ascension. Matthew 16, verse 16, starting, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Acts 2, after God gave the disciples the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter preached his great sermon in Jerusalem. Thousands of people were saved. And the church was born. Local churches were established throughout Europe and Asia. And the gospel began to be spread around the world in obedience to the Great Commission. Through the local church and believers that were part of local churches. Amen? There are three premises, folks. Creation. What's the second one? Relationship. What's the third one? There are three institutions, the home, government, church. All right, now let me pause before I get to the three purposes and ask you this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a child of God, and we believe that God has established these three institutions, then doesn't it stand to reason that he has a legitimate role for each one of us in All three. Yes. We have a job to do in all three of these. Okay. Let that sink in. Meditate. Dwell on that. Three purposes. You ready? The first purpose is authority. Authority. We believe that because of our fallen, depraved nature, all human beings need God-delegated human authority. And that exists in each of the three institutions, doesn't it? We need it. All legitimate human authority is delegated by God. Let me say that again. Listen to this carefully. All legitimate... Human authority, there is illegitimate human authority. There are people who claim authority for themselves that they don't really justly deserve, correct? But all legitimate human authority is delegated by God. Now why? I'm a father. Let's just use that as a simple example. It's Father's Day. I am a father. My wife, God's blessed my wife and me with eight children. Yeah, eight. I have to give an account. I'm getting ahead of myself, Randy. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I I have authority over those children. But why? Is it because I'm a great guy? Is it because I'm so smart? Is it because I'm morally superior to them? I'm a morally better person than they are? Is that why? No. No. It's simply because God has delegated to me a little bit, just a little sliver of His authority. That's why I have authority over my children. 
The policeman, why does he have authority over me? Because God has given him a little bit of his authority. Uh, The authority has limits, doesn't it? It has limits, uh, but it, it is legitimate. I have a right to tell my children what to do and what not to do in certain circumstances, and they are responsible to obey me. Correct? God delegated authority. We've lost this concept in our culture, haven't we? I notice people love to talk about, um, they don't use the same language, let's call it rebelling against authority, but nonconformity, noncompliance, whatever you want to say. You know, a not obeying authority is a popular idea, but I notice that the people who espouse that suddenly change their minds when they are in authority themselves. Isn't that interesting? Suddenly when they're in authority, they expect obedience and compliance. Fascinating to me. Um, all of us, all of us at some time are going to be in authority, and all of us at all times are going to be under authority. Both. Exodus 20 and verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor thy father and thy mother. By the way, this is Father's Day. Let's expand on this more than what I have in my notes, since it's Father's Day, shall we? Okay, thank you for agreeing. Go ahead. Go ahead, thank you. This is not... Limited to while you're under your parents' authority, living under their roof and eating their food. It's a lifelong command. It is a lifelong command. Now, both of my parents are with the Lord. I still should honor them. But certainly while they were alive, though I were a grown-up adult, that doesn't mean I, don't, I can stop honoring them. It's a lifelong command. I would give any... My dad, uh, this is the 18th, the 22nd, Thursday, will be the 22nd anniversary of his passing. Uh, June 22nd of 2001. 22 years, I can't believe it. Young people, if you've got a bad relation, and, and adults, if you've got a poor relationship with your dad, you need to pray about getting that thing fixed. Amen? You do not want to stand over his casket having had a bad relationship right up until the end. And if you had a good relationship with him, it's going to be a lot easier to stand by that casket. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to be glad that you had a, a good relationship with him at the, uh, right up to the end. And I would give anything if I could pick up the phone tonight and call my dad after this service. What, is the, what would be the value of that conversation? Some of you who've lost your mom and your dad, you know what I'm saying. You can't put a price tag on that, can you? And so your parents, your mother, your father, they are a, a well of experience and wisdom from which you need to draw while you can. Amen? I'm not angry at you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just uh, it's important. 
Honor thy father and thy mother. Children, Ephesians 6, children obey your parents in the Lord. To husbands and wives, Paul says this in Ephesians 5. Listen to this carefully. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Do I have authority over my wife? Does she have authority over me? Yes. We're to submit to each other. Sometimes she uh, needs to tell me what to do and I need to do it. (laughs) And sometimes it's the other way around. Or what not to do. In Romans 13, we're instructed to be subject to human government. Obey them that have the rule over you. I'll cut it short for time's sake. In Acts 20 and verse 28, Paul said this to the elders of the church at Ephesus, speaking of that institution. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ, though he is without sin, set an example of obedience by submitting to the will of his heavenly Father. Wow. Jesus Christ was obedient. The God, the eternal God, the creator of all mankind, of everything that is, was subject to his parents, Luke 2 tells us. And he was obedient to his heavenly Father. John 5.30, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If Jesus sought not his own will... What right do I have to seek my own will? Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And who is that one, everybody? Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5.8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Philippians 2 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Luke 2, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ was obedient? Hmm? What if he weren't? Now, it's not within his character to be otherwise. But what if he were not? Where would you and I be? Authority. That's the first purpose. Authority. We all need it. Second. Here we go. Finally. I'm here. Accountability. (laughs) I've been wanting to jump to that all night. (laughs) For some strange reason. Accountability. All of these passages show us that we are accountable to each other and to God. In the home, we are accountable to the other members of the family and to God. In civil society, we are accountable to each other and to God directly, and and we are accountable through the governments that we have set up among ourselves. I'm accountable to the policeman. In the church, we are accountable to each other and to God for our faithfulness to the truth of God's word, for our service to Jesus Christ, and for our, our obedience to God's will. That's one of the important things about this assembly is accountability, isn't it? 
By the way, I'm convinced that the people who, who don't like church membership or, or don't you know, try to come up with some other model, this is one of the real sticking points, whether they admit it or not. They don't want accountability. Amen. We need it, though. Every one of us needs it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. I get, let me get off track here. Heaven, help us. Deliver us from this God-wants-me-to-be-happy form of uh, practical uh, theology. As if God's job is to please me. He's, he's up there saying, what can I do, Dan, to make you happy now? Whatever you want to do that makes you happy, please go ahead and do it. That is not the God of the Bible. No, that is a, a reversal of roles. That's making me God and him my servant. My job is to please him. Holy, acceptable unto God. Listen, if what he does, you know, sometimes what he does is acceptable to me, and sometimes it's unacceptable. But he's not the problem when that happens. Amen? I'm the one who's got the problem. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He doesn't, you know, God has never asked of me anything that is unreasonable. Hard? Yeah. Unreasonable? No. When human authority acts contrary to God, we can reach a point at which we must obey the higher authority. Okay, accountability. So in my role as a father, in my role as director of ODEX, whatever hats I wear, there's coming a time when I have to stand before God and give an account for how... What kind of father was I? What kind of Sunday school teacher was I? What kind of husband? Whatever the role is that God's given to me, I have to give an account. And I have to understand that there are limits on my authority. And I must be careful not to exceed those limits. Amen? I have to... I have to uh, um, Bind myself. I have to limit myself with God's help. Human authority can act contrary to God, can it not? And when that happens, we can reach a point at which we must obey the higher authority. Uh, Romans 5.9, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. That time may come. Folks, that's a verse, Romans 5, 9, that we may have to wrestle with very soon here in the good old U.S. of A. Remember what they, they were told, you may not teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. They said, well, sorry, we can't obey that command. We have to obey God. God has said that we must, so we have to obey him. And then just let the chips fall where they may. The first purpose is authority. The second purpose is accountability. 
The third purpose is prosperity. We're getting close. We're going to end pretty good here. Prosperity. You know what? If in the home, in human government, and in the church, if everybody understands their role and fulfills it well, surrendered to God, and understanding they're accountable, accountable to God, there's going to be prosperity in each one of those three institutions. When there is a lack of prosperity, it's because, not because God designed the institutions badly, because we messed it up. Amen? It's not his fault, it's our fault. Don't replace them and and think you can come up with something better. You can't. Prosperity, the three institutions are given to us for our well-being. God loves us. He wants us to have a good life. Here and in eternity with Him in heaven. Amen? They're there. We need the three institutions. We need authority. We need accountability. This includes our physical, mental, spiritual, and social well-being. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have, who, who can say it? Good success. I like that. It doesn't just say, then thou shalt have success. Good success. I think there's such a thing as bad success, you see. That's not what we want. We want good success. Just by taking heed to this book. Ephesians 6, 1-3. through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why? That it may be well with thee. And thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, yes, this earth ain't heaven, but I want to live as long as I can here. How about you? I'm not in a hurry. Heaven will last forever. There's plenty of time for that later. Honor your father and mother. Luke 2, 51 and 52, listen to this. And he, Jesus, went down with them. This is the 12-year-old Jesus. He's 12 years old. He went down with them, Joseph and Mary, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Isn't that a remarkable statement? Jesus increased in wisdom. I can't wrap my brain around that. Jesus increasing in wisdom. But I know this. I need to increase in wisdom. How about you? In stature. I don't need to increase in stature anymore. But when I was in 12, I was very eager about that thing. Hey, guys, huh? teenage boys are still growing. Do you have the marks on the door jam? Anybody still do that anymore? Some do. Okay, good, good. And my son Ryan is, uh, I'm 6'1". My son Ryan is uh, 6'3 or 6'4". Uh, and when he was catching up to me, there was a period of about a year, year and a half, maybe two, where I would not admit defeat. 
but I finally got to the point where I have to confess that he is now taller than me. He was very happy about that. <laughs> very pleased about that. I think he's done increasing in stature. But it is good to increase in stature, right? Well, all of us have a limit. Our limits are different, but till we get there, it's good to increase in stature, isn't it? Physical health. And he increased in favor with God. God looked on him favorably. You see, God wants, should be pleased with me. He increased in favor with God. Are you increasing in favor with God? Wow, what a thought. And he increased in favor with man. Okay, I, I wish we could go back and see the 12-year-old Jesus walking around and interacting with people and going through his daily life. Wouldn't that be, be remarkable? And you say, wow, what a sharp young man. He's polite. He's obedient. He's industrious. He's studious. All right, three premises. Creation, relationship, uh, 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 what? Well, yeah, revelation. Three institutions, the home, human government, and the church. Three purposes, authority, accountability, and prosperity. Now, folks, if you don't know Jesus Christ... You're not going to experience any of this good stuff that God has planned for us. Amen? It's just not going to happen. Let's